take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We will be getting back to our exposition of the Gospel of John next week. Um, In fact, uh, we'll do that for three weeks. And then uh, we will uh, do our Advent time, the the four weeks in December uh, leading up to Christmas. Of course, Christmas Day will be on Saturday, but on the 26th we'll still uh, do our Advent sermon. Uh, And uh, we're going to be looking at um, Isaiah for Advent this year, the, the prophecies concerning Messiah in Isaiah 7, 9, 11, and uh, chapter 50, into chapter 52, into chapter 53. So be preparing yourselves for that. Uh, I'll mention a couple of other things before we dig into our text this morning. Uh, tonight we'll be gathered for Sunday evening worship. We do that on the first and third Sundays. Uh, tonight I'll be starting a series in uh, Psalm 119. So we'll be walking through Psalm 119 on Sunday evenings on the first and third Sundays. And then one more sort of thing I want you to be encouraged to stay for today. After our time of fellowship in the equip hour, uh, uh, our, our good brother Justin McMenemy has been walking you through the life of the church and others have joined him in that. I'm going to be uh, doing that this morning on church discipline uh, and what that is about. And so if you're uh, curious, you've never heard of that before or not sure what that is, I would encourage you to stick around for the equip hour uh, and, and hear about uh, what it means, what church discipline is and uh, why we practice that here. Um, and uh, maybe you're, uh, you've heard bad things about that, so you want to uh, uh, maybe uh, find out what it's about, and, and uh, so I encourage you to stay for that. But this morning, we're going to look at one body, many members, many ministries. And uh, one of the things I've been pondering uh, from my time on sabbatical until today is our need to be reminded of living as a body in covenant membership and service to one another. And this has been on my mind for certain reasons that I will explain uh, as we walk through this uh, together this morning. But I thought it was important because, um, you know, uh, part of the sabbatical is not just uh, uh, any kind of a vacation, but it's to be thinking about things in regard to the church and, and what are some things that we need to be thinking about and I need to be thinking about as one of the pastors of this church. And so this was one of those things that was on my mind while I was away. And so um, that's why we're going to address it this morning. If you're able to, would you please stand with me? I'll read aloud as you follow along. I'm actually going to read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, though we'll be focusing on verses 3 through 8. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and in the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You may be seated. That is the word of God. May it be a blessing as we've heard it read aloud both in the Old and New Testament reading. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we come this morning, we echo the prayer that has already been prayed in our pastoral prayer that is taken from this text uh, this morning, which is inspired in the original autographs by your Spirit, and therefore we must uh, seek to abide by it. But uh, Lord, we, we pray that uh, we would not think highly of ourselves than we ought to think, and yet to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that you have given us. So let us think soberly and rightly about ourselves today. So easy, Lord, uh, to think about others and and what they should be doing, (laughs) and perhaps maybe ways that they have let us down. But Lord, let us be reflective upon ourselves today, not as in any way to think that we earn anything from you. Uh, Lord, that has been done through the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect life, death, and resurrection. And his righteousness has been imputed to us, and we live out of that righteousness. And yet, Lord, you call us to live in a particular way. And so as we study these things and think about these things, may we be sober-minded. May we be humble. Lord, may we think most of you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, who took on humanity and stood in our place so that we might be reconciled to you. So, Lord, we pray this, and and I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and minds by the Spirit. I pray, Lord, that indeed you would humble us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, keep your finger in Romans 12 and make a right-hand turn your Bible to Ephesians. I want us to sort of see the foundation and illustration of what we're going to study in Romans 12 from another passage this morning to begin with. By the way, if you're using a pew Bible this morning, there, there are some scattered throughout there uh, for you this morning. Ephesians 4 is where we'll be. That's page 918, I believe. I might have written that down wrong. But Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and this is a familiar passage to us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. We're going to look at a good foundation and cross-reference of what we will be studying in Romans 12. Same author, the Apostle Paul, and of course there's one author of Scripture overall, that is God. It is a divinely inspired text. But look at what it says in Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, or the shepherd teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, so instead, we are to be speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, this uh, helpful passage for what we're going to look at in Romans chapter 12 uh, does frame the conversation a bit, does frame the study a bit as we think about what Paul uh, uh, gives us in Romans chapter 12 because it, it helps us see uh, the body that uh, Paul speaks of in Romans 12 in a, in a different way. And the way that the body is put together, each part, it says, working together to build itself up in love. And we, we see some of the structure in Ephesians chapter 4 as he talks about the Christ gave the apostles and the prophets. By the way, if you turn back over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, we understand that those apostles and prophets were the foundation upon which the church was built, along with Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. So we would teach in, in this local assembly that those offices are no longer available in the church. They were the, they were the foundational offices, as, as Paul says in Ephesians 2 and verse 20. But you still have the evangelists or the, the missionaries, those that are going about proclaiming the gospel and planting churches, and then you have... Shepherd teachers or pastor teachers, the, the elders of the church who are teaching truth. And, and what is their purpose? It is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You may hear that around here every once in a while. Uh, we pray it every week, don't we? That the, that the saints would be equipped for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And, and what, are, what are we seeking to do? We're seeking to be mature. We're seeking to be built up into maturity, into Christ. And notice the end game here, if you will, in verse 15 through verse 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The progression here that Paul gives us in, re in regard to the body functioning properly is that those in leadership are to be equipping the saints so that all of us together are growing in maturity when... The body of Christ is functioning properly with all of its parts working together. And in so doing, we are to build each other up in love. That is the picture that Paul gives us of the body. And Paul, as we've seen not only in Ephesians 4, but we'll see in Romans 12, uses the body as a metaphor for the church. And on the one hand, we understand this to be the universal church, the universal church, the body of Christ throughout the world. But of what is the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ comprised, but of local assemblies? How is it that we are to function as a body together so that we might accomplish what Paul calls us to in Ephesians 4 and in Romans chapter 12? One of the reasons that this has come to mind in the time of my sabbatical and, and still sort of is there in my mind today is I struggle with delegation. 
I struggle with delegation. But we hear, we, we hear uh, see that God delegates the work of the body to each part. And so what is it that we are to be doing together, especially I'm speaking to those who are covenant members of this local assembly. You have covenanted with us to be a part of this local assembly. What is it that we are to do in order to function properly? You see, um, not that anyone has ever said this to me. No one ever has. But I think that there are times where the church in general thinks, well, the hired hand, that's what he's getting paid to do, right? There are churches that have treated pastor friends of mine in that way, and that's terrible. I've not been treated that way. Praise the Lord. So thankful. But I still struggle with handing things over. Maybe that's pride. Maybe that is just a sense of not wanting to burden anybody else. And I'm sure that some of you have experienced that perhaps in the business world or even in ministry. And it's difficult to hand things over. I, I, I tend to think that in myself it's a, a matter of I know that they're really busy and I'm going to feel like I'm burdening them extra if I ask them to step up and do these things. But the reality is, is that this is what God calls the church to do. God calls the church to work together. Notice again in Ephesians 4 here. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from, the whole, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. What does He equip the church with? Evangelists and pastor teachers to equip the church to do these things together. Not that the pastor teachers, the elders stand above and say, now you do this. No, we're working together as one body for what purpose? To build each other up in love so that we are doing the things that God has called us to do. Again, while there is a, certainly a, a thought of this in the universal sense, the universal is accomplished by the local working in this way. And as you're making your way back over to Romans chapter 12, let me give you the main point. This is written for you on the back of your worship folder. If you're tuning in through the live stream, uh, this has been emailed to those who are on the email list. Here's the main point. As those who have been brought together in a local assembly through faith in Christ, we are to serve one another according to the ministries with which God has gifted us. As those who have been brought together in a local assembly through faith in Christ, we are to serve one another according to the ministries with which God has gifted us. I want us to see this morning three needs of the local assembly when considering itself and how to function Three needs of the local assembly when considering itself and how to function. And the first is this. We see in verse 3, we need a proper view of self. We need a proper view of self. Uh, Look again at Romans 12. Look at verses 1 and 2 again to be reminded of the context in which Paul uh, puts verse 3 that we'll look at for this particular point. Uh, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... What Paul has been doing up until Romans chapter 12 is laying the foundation of God's grace in salvation. God's grace to sinners. And in chapters 1 through 3, if you kind of think about this breakdown a little bit, he's convincing his readers, the the, the church in Rome, who he's not been able to go and, and visit, 
And so therefore we think he's kind of giving them his theology in, Ro- in, in Romans, the book of Romans, his letter to them. He's saying, look, everyone is a sinner. All are sinners, whether Gentile or Jew. We're all sinners. Even the Jews who've been given the oracles of God are, are, are sinners. And then sort of the middle of chapter 3 and, and into uh, uh, chapter 5 and part of chapter 6, he is saying, it is God's grace that has saved you. God's grace has saved you. And in spite of your sin, even while you were enemies of God and hated God and were still sinners, Christ died for you. And, and then kind of middle of chapter 6 and in, into chapter 8, he is explaining how we are to live that out. He, he's saying if you have been rescued by God, if you've been saved by God, here is how you are to live. Don't live according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit. He in there tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, even though we wrestle through sin. But here is how we're to live. We're to live according to the Spirit. And then because there's this question about Jewish, the Jewish people in, in chapters 9 through 11, uh, Paul tells us that, that God is not yet done with the, the Jewish people who have rejected Christ, but there is going to come a time where uh, there will be a great ingathering of Jewish people who will be saved. And then based on all that, listen to, listen to the end of chapter 11. In verse 33, as Paul's reflecting upon all the, the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and God the Father and the Spirit. Listen to what he says in verse 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Answer, no one. Or who has been his counselor? Answer, no one. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? The answer to that is no one. God is above. He is beyond. He is other than us. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is a doxology here. This is a, an expression of, of praise to, about who God is in reflection of all that Paul has said thus far under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, now in light of those mercies of God, here is how we are to live. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he expounds on that. And the first thing he does is says, be humble. Look again at verse 3. For by the grace given to me. So, so he's placing himself within this category of grace gifts that are given. So he's saying, as an apostle, I appeal to you. But as one who has received this by grace by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, I say to you. In other words, Paul is kind of saying, I'm going to express my gift here now to you. For by the grace given to me, I say, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We need a proper view of self. Many times in the scripture, Paul is addressing the church as a whole. The 
you, in many passages in the epistles, when he says you, we should take it as y'all. Like you all. The church together. If you're not from the south, y'all is how Paul spoke. That's what he did. That's what he said. I mean, that's his intent, right? It's, it's you all rather than you as an individual. Then there are times like here where Paul, talking collectively to the local assembly, assembly, draws attention to something that is individual in nature, but still within the corporate body. That, that's what he does here. He says, I say to everyone among you, those who are part of the gathered assembly, this is what I'm saying to you. Notice everyone among you, here is corporate language, but now saying, listen, you are individuals too. The corporate body is made up of parts. This is what he gets into here in a minute. And each individual part that's a part of the local assembly is to be working together to the end that he gives us in this passage and other passages like Ephesians 4. But what is the first thing he tells us? As a corporate body, you as individuals must not think too highly of yourself, but think with sober judgment. Think reasonably about yourself. Again, Paul has exemplified this even in saying, by the grace given to me, Paul's position in the life of the church is not of him, but from God. He cannot claim this, just as we cannot claim it. You know, there's several places in the New Testament where spiritual gifts, as they are so called, uh, I like to say spiritual ministries, uh, I think that better describes it. Uh, there are lists of those spiritual ministries. And those lists aren't exhaustive, and those uh, lists need to be parsed out theologically because some of those uh, sign gifts of the early church are no longer in existence. That's what we hold to here, and, and we think that that's what the Bible teaches. But one of the places is in uh, 1 Corinthians. And what is Paul calling them to an account on in regarding to their spiritual ministries. You are being prideful. You're saying this gift is better and more desirable than that gift. And so we, we often have to, well, often maybe too light, we always need to view ourselves properly in light of who God is and who we are. The way, in fact, that Paul says we are to think about this is in according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Tom Schreiner in his commentary on Romans says this, quote, A sober estimate of oneself then recognizes the amount of faith that God has given and in consequence does not yield to pride. The reason this keeps us from pride is not from being able to measure the amount of faith we have. Uh, by the way, that Last part was Schreiner. This is me now. The reason this keeps us from pride is not from being able to measure the amount of faith we have, but recognizing it is from God. That is the point. If we are those who are being living sacrifices, as Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, worshiping God with our lives and being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can discern God's will, this is how we live and function as a local church, not just on Sundays, but Every day. Every day. Believer, let me ask you this. This is 
trying. And, and this is what we do sometimes or we should do when we come to the Lord's table. Are you aware of your thoughts about yourself? Are you asking God to expose in your life uh, pride and, and judgment and, and how you consider others? Not everybody struggles with this to the same degree, but what lens is Paul asking us to view ourselves with? The lens of truth, the lens of Scripture, the lens of God's grace and my need of His grace, God's mercy and my need of His mercy. Because if I am thinking through that grid and through that filter, I begin to not only think properly about myself, but also about others. This gets back to what Jesus has told us is the greatest commandment, really, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think verses 1 and 2 kind of covers that of, of Romans 12. And then the second is like unto it, our Lord says, love your neighbor as yourself. Or think of yourself more, do not think of yourself as highly as you think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is a gospel lens. This is a good news lens. The sober judgment begins with a gospel view of self. I am not worthy of such love, but while I was still a sinner, an enemy of God, Christ died for me. This is a sober reflection of self. Now, uh, I, I, what I am not saying, of course, is that we are um, not beautiful to God as ones who are created in His image. Not saying it in that way at all. But what I'm saying is a sober reflection is if I'm in Christ, I recognize my life before Christ and my life now in Christ. The believer has been and is being transformed into the image of Christ. That's a sobering thought. I mean, in, in essence, Paul is just calling us here to humility as we think of others. Does that in Philippians 2. And who's, who's the rubric? Who's the, the grid that we're supposed to pattern ourselves after in Philippians chapter 2? The Lord Jesus Christ, who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be paraded around, but made himself of no reputation and took the form of humanity, of a servant. Christ came and he said, I did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. Who is our pattern? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are to be conformed to his image. And that's what the Spirit is doing in us. Even as we read truths like this. Therefore, my call for the, to those who are not in Christ is that you hear this way of sober reflection. Perhaps... For the first time, looking through that lens as one who is not in Christ, but as the Spirit is awakening your eyes to the fact that you are a sinner that needs the grace of God. 
and the perfect life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from God's judgment, which all of us deserve, but which Christ took for those who would believe in him and by which he reconciles us to himself. So in in order to exercise body life properly, we need to have a proper view of self. That has been our first point. Secondly, we see we need a proper view of the body. So a proper view of self is through humility, through sober-mindedness, to not think too highly of ourselves, not higher than we ought to think, but to think of others and to think of Christ and to think through that gospel lens. But we also need a proper view of the body. Look at verses 4 and 5. For, and so that's a connection word there. This is a a purpose statement for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in christ and individually members of one another why do we need to have a proper view of self because we are a body and we are together and we are committed to one another and we need to minister to one another as god has measured out spiritual ministries for us to do with one another. So my proper view of self feeds directly into a proper view of the body, which is this. I cannot be the only one that God uses in the body of Christ. I don't mean that about me personally, though that's true. That's how we ought to be thinking. My sober-mindedness is I need you and you need me and we need to function together in order to see the things accomplished that God wants to accomplish. Now, he is not hindered by that, but he uses means to accomplish his will. That's a beautiful thought. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. But, But there is one body. There is unity. Many members, but different functions, diversity. One body in Christ. He is the unifier. For as in one body we have many members. So he's using that picture again of the body. Like he did in Ephesians 4. We have fingers and toes. We have armpits for some reason. Not calling any of you that. But we have these functions, right? Our knees. We couldn't walk without those. One of our dear sisters here just had a, had a hip replacement. Isn't it amazing what they've been able to do with medicine and technology? It was an outpatient surgery. The same day she went in to get the surgery, she was out the same day and walking. It's unbelievable. Uh, they, they only have to make an incision about four inches now to replace a hip. It's unbelievable. But if that hip is not functioning properly, if that knee is not functioning properly, if that elbow is not functioning properly, if the organs that can't be seen, the liver, the lungs, the heart, if those are not functioning properly, what happens to the body? It does not survive. One body, but many members. We need these members of our body to function properly. But all those members do not function the same. Again, thinking about Paul speaking about this in 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, you know, uh, where would the body be if all parts of the body said, I want to be an eye? You know, that would be freaky, by the way, if that was the truth. But <laughs> delayed, I love that, brother. Thank you for the delayed response there. 
But, um, you know, it would not function properly if it was all the same. We're not all the same. We don't all look the same. We don't all come from the same backgrounds. We don't all have the same struggles. We don't uh, all have the same function. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But, but before he even gets to the function, he's talking about a proper view of self and a proper view of the body. Individually, that's how we truly are, but we're members of one another. And that members of one another, by the way, implies commitment, implies what we would call covenant membership here. These end up being parallel thoughts. Think about this. We are united to one another and we are united to Christ. There could be no greater truth than being united to Christ because we need that in order to be reconciled to God. But in concert with that, God says you and I are united together in the body of Christ. This is obviously true of the universal church, but it's also true of the local assembly. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is doctrinal in nature. We must have a gospel that is scriptural. Therefore, we must have an orthodox doctrine of everything else. And we talked about this before I went on my uh, sabbatical. We talked about um, uh, levels of agreement and disagreement. Matters of first importance, second importance, tertiary importance. And so we can disagree with things like uh, matters of, of eschatology, end time, timing, and, and things like that. But we must agree that Christ is coming again. One is a secondary or tertiary matter. One is an orthodox matter. Christ is coming physically again to receive his church unto himself. And as it is with the gospel, there are implications of the truth of the gospel that flesh itself out in body life. We are individually members, but we are members of one another. The implication for us here is that though we are individuals, we are to be committed to one another as members of one another. I do believe that the practical outworking of this in our day and age is formal commitment through covenanting together and meaningful membership. And you've heard me preach on that before. And if you want to go back and listen to those, I would encourage you to do that. And if you have questions about that, uh, you can come and see me or one of the elders and we'll explain that to you. But we do believe that this is the way in which we as pastors know who we're responsible for. And that you know amongst one another who you're responsible for. Did you know that you're responsible for each other? It's true. In fact, we're going to talk about that in the equip hour to follow about church discipline. Because there's an accountability. And everybody, just a brief word about that, so, so perhaps this will wet your whistle a little bit for that. Everybody thinks that we're talking about the end game of church discipline, like kicking people out of the church. No, it begins with the idea of accountability and love for one another because we care about what happens to someone who is in ongoing, unconfessed, unrepentant sin. It's actually out of love and a desire for reconciliation that we do that. But we're accountable to each other. Formal membership implies being in each other's lives, the outworking of which we'll see in a moment. But this, members of one another, must go beyond informal association to a formal covenant commitment. 
because we need to know who we're accountable for. Again, my call to you who are not in Christ is to understand this. This is a gospel truth. When you are um, saved, when you are converted, the Bible says that you are baptized into the body of Christ. The, The Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ, which is expressed externally, we hold, by by baptism, uh, not as a means to uh, be saved, but because you are, you show that forth in that expression of baptism. It signifies that spirit baptism of being baptized in the body of Christ. So, so we would hold that, yes, we are baptized into the universal body of Christ, but we are to identify with a local body to say this, this is the the church that I am committed to that represents the body of Christ to this community. And you must, if you are not in Christ, turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone to be reconciled to Him, but to also be a part of God's family, to be a part of a local assembly added to the body. So we need a proper view of self. We need a proper view of the body. And lastly, we need a proper view. We need a proper use, I'm sorry, of ministries in verses 6 through 8. A proper use of ministries. So we think of ourselves soberly. You notice the way that Paul is kind of putting some buffers in here. We need to think of ourselves soberly because... No one's spiritual ministry is above another, but God is actually working those spiritual ministries together within the body of Christ to function properly. So we have a, a proper view of the, the body in order for that to, to work right. But we also need a proper use of ministries. Look at verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Notice that parallel language with what Paul says in verse 3. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes or gives in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul has just said, though, being unified in the body, we do not all have the same function, but now wants to specify what those functions may be. Now, the word gifts, unfortunately, has led to some thinking of these as abilities rather than ministries. Um, we think of gifts in some ways as gifted. I have, been, uh, I, I have the gift of this, rather than understanding it as something that is received as a gift from God. That's the implication of it. Ken Birding has written about this and states that if we use gifts as in gifts versus being giving something gracious from God for the use of ministry in the body. In other words, it's not look at how gifted I am at this. It's look at what God has given me and I have received and I serve you with. That's the point. If we understand this as serving others in these ways, ministering to others, it is not about us in a specific role in the church on Sunday morning, though that can be included. But if we isolate our ministry to that, we are, uh, are we living our lives as God has called us through Paul in Romans chapter 12? It's not just about this is what you know, I am talented at. 
Now, God can use your talents, don't get me wrong. But, but the gift here is that I have received this from God in order to serve you and to serve God. Having gifts or grace gifts, ministries that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Why? Because if you don't, the body isn't functioning properly. That's the point he's making here. My left knee has been hurting recently. Makes going up and down stairs painful. Now, I hope that that doesn't mean there's surgery in my future. I hope that the fact that I need to lose some weight might do something, have nothing to do with that. But the point is, is that if something isn't functioning properly, it hurts the rest of the body and the body is not functioning as it should. It's for use. If we're not using them, we're not serving others in the body of Christ and the body isn't functioning properly. We see listed here seven grace gifts or ministries, prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, contributing, leading, and acts of mercy. Each of these has something said about it and each deals with how we minister to one another. Look again. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. Notice some of these are just repetition, right? If you're going to, if you're a teacher, you need to teach. If you're one who exhorts, you need to exhort, you need to encourage. If you're one who is a a giver, a contributor, then do it in generosity, etc., etc. Therefore, as those who are seeking to be living sacrifices, renewing our mind instead of being conformed to the world, we are to see here God's call upon our lives as believers and members of a local assembly that our function within the body demands that none of us are bystanders. Now, I didn't dig into the list here because there's several lists. I, 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 if you have questions about that, you can uh, go and talk to Pastor Steve. He knows all about this. No, there's some, there's some difficult ones there. and I don't want to get into that. I want to be distracted by that this morning. What I want us to hear and see this morning is that we are to function. We are to be serving one another. God's call upon our lives as believers and members of this local assembly is that we should function within the body and it demands that none of us are bystanders. Now, there are ministries that non-members can participate in. But we as elders of this church believe the Bible teaches that we need to know for whom we must give an account, as I said, and the way we believe the Bible sets this forth is through formal membership. This also shows your commitment to one another in exercising the one another's in this local assembly. So let's get practical for a minute. What does that mean? How does that work itself out in this local assembly? Well, please hear me in all that I say here. Okay? This may mean working in children's ministry or the nursery or youth ministry or the equip hour. Or perhaps you're more behind the scenes. You help administrate some of these things. But outside of things that we do when we gather together, which are super important, but it may not be what you are equipped to do, 
It also means informally exercising our spiritual ministries to one another on a day-to-day basis. Because, yes, we gather together and we need to gather together to worship together and to serve one another in this context. But does the body of Christ, the, the covenant membership of this local assembly cease when we walk outside of these doors? No. In fact, we're here together maybe for three hours on a Sunday morning. There is much, much, much more to life of the body for the rest of the time in our week that we must see in loving and caring for one another. You may think, I'm not sure what God has given me graciously to do in the body. May I suggest, especially if you're a covenant member that's not plugged into a ministry, uh, serve and find out. That's the best way for you to determine what is it that I desire to do and what is it that God has given me by His grace to serve this local assembly. Some of you may think, well, I am getting older and and I, I can't do as much anymore. I understand that. I've had those conversations, and some of you are super disappointed in that. Let me encourage you in this way. Take the church directory and pray through it. Reach out to people and let them know that you're praying for them. I get notes pretty regularly from several that tell me, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for our elders. I'm praying for the people of this church. And I want you to be encouraged by that. The the art of handwritten notes has gone the way of the dodo, right? Do that. Email is fine. Texting is fine. That's that's another way. It's a, a faster way. I'm not saying it has to be a handwritten note. Those are super nice. But reach out to people. Um, if take the list of missionaries and, and pray for them. Reach out and let them know you're praying for them. That's biblical encouragement to do that. Um, I would say that's an area where we really need to step up in our church. Do you know who our missionaries are that we support with monthly giving? Not all of them are able to come here and present their ministry because they're off in far lands and and don't come back to the United States very often. Get to know them. Communicate with them. It is so easy today to do that, to to email, uh, to Zoom Zoom or to Skype uh, with, with someone. That's biblical encouragement. Pray for your pastors and deacons and then let them know that you're praying for them. Um, some of you... I understand all of these things fall under some rubric within the Scripture. Some of you love to cook. Cook a meal. Bring it to someone. Say, hey, I was just thinking about you this week and I thought I'd bring this, this meal to you. That's biblical encouragement. That's mercy to someone. Some of you are just encouraging people. Just have that way about you. You know, you can offer hope to someone. Some of you need to get out and, and, and proclaim the gospel. 
You need to get out and evangelize. All of us need to be those who evangelize to, to proclaim the truth. But some of you have been given that measure of faith to go out into the streets to preach or to go door to door in your neighborhood and proclaim the gospel. You need to be a proclaimer. Some of you perhaps are those who have been called to teach and you need to teach. Some of you are gracious in your giving and you're able to give Perhaps because God has blessed you in a, in a way that he hasn't blessed others. Some of you are just really good at being behind the scenes and helping administrate and organize and do that. Now, with that being said, I've told you these things are on my mind. So some of you I'm going to be reaching out to you because I have ideas. And if I don't reach out to you, please don't be hurt. Come to me and say, hey, why didn't you reach out to me? I'd love to be doing something. Myself, one of the other elders, the deacons, we would love to have you serve. But I do have things that are running through my mind because I need to delegate better. And I need to not be fearful that I'm burdening anyone. Not because I preached this message this morning, but because this is what God's word says. For those who are not in Christ, my call to you is to see what we're talking about here is, again, rooted in the gospel. To be in Christ is to be a part of his body universally and locally and to participate in the life of Christ as a part of a local body. But this requires that you see you are a sinner, one who is opposed to God and an enemy of his. And as Ephesians 2 implies, you are still an outsider until you are drawn near And this very message could be the means by which God is drawing you. Turn from your sin. Trust in Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection alone to be reconciled to God. And to be made a part of His body. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for those who do not know you that are in our midst. They would come to know you today. That your spirit would be working, Lord, that you would... By your grace, resurrect dead hearts today. Give them eyes to see. Give them faith to believe. We trust that you can do that, Lord. For the rest of us, may we only feel the weight of this message as is necessary for us as a conviction in our heart. Not to earn anything from you, Lord, but because you have saved us. That, Lord, we would live for you in gratitude of what you have done and by that which you have given us, the righteousness of Christ, the the receiving of spiritual ministries to do. And I do pray, Lord, that those who have been with us for some time that have not covenanted with us might hear that today and say, I need to do that. And that for those of us who are covenanted together, that we would... Serve one another, Lord, and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.